Well, guys, so excited you guys are here joining us at New Life Young Adults, and uh, if that's okay, we're just going to jump right in. We're going we're gonna to continue our True You series, and last week we started off and uh, we talked about who we are, what, uh, what we were created to be, what our relationship with the Lord is like, and uh, throughout this series we're exploring this idea of identity. Everybody say identity. And we're looking at who we are. And who we were made to be, and what it means to be the people of God versus what our culture says, and versus uh, what our culture actually kind of pours onto us, and and tendencies that we can develop by living in a culture of secularism and godlessness. And so we're exploring this idea of identity, uh, unpacking this idea of who we are as the people of God. And this morning's message is titled, Made to Be Me. Made to be me. And we're going to start in Psalm 139, one of my all-time favorite chapters in Scripture. And it says this, verse 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, using this beautiful language to talk about his uniqueness. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Let's pray together. Lord, we are yours. We're here. God, this practice of coming to church, making the journey to your house, God, it shows that we want you. It shows that we desire you. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would instruct us according to your will. We ask that as we handle the words of Scripture and as we talk about these ideas of identity, such a pertinent topic for us young adults, Lord, we ask that you would teach us. We pray that you would guide us into all truth. And you say in your word, Lord, that all of those who call upon you in truth, you come, you show up, you join them, you meet with them, God. So right now, we take a second and we call upon you. We ask you, Holy Spirit of the living God, to come and to speak and to meet with us. God, as we draw near to you this morning, we ask that you would draw near to us and that you would teach us according to your word and that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers, but that we would walk out of this room and do the word and put it into practice. And we love you. We say thank you. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that we get a chance to be with one another and to fellowship with one another and to commune with you, O God. We give this morning to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. All right, well, this morning we are talking about the big bad idea of comparison. Ooh. We're talking about how we as believers, even, called by God, chosen by God, saved, sanctified, in relationship with the Lord, even we, of all people, can tend to compare our lives to others around us, can't we? 
So we're going to unpack this idea of comparison. And starting in Psalm 139, one of the most intimate passages in all of Scripture, this passage where David, the psalmist, is, is talking to his creator, and he's kind of nuancing these ideas about his God, and he's recognizing and coming to grips really and ultimately with who God is. And the beginning of the psalm begins with David wrestling with God's omniscience. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. We didn't read this part. But Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I stand and when I sit. You know my thoughts from afar. Check this out. You even know what I'm going to say before I say it. He's saying, God, you know everything. You're an omniscient God. And then he begins to wrestle with God's omnipresence, where God is with him everywhere he goes. If I go to the sky, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the morning and go to the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will hold me fast. Lord, you are here. You're an omnipresent God. You're with me everywhere I go. And then there's a shift in this psalm where we come to, in verse 13, what we just read. David begins to recognize Not necessarily who God is, but who he is, David is, man is, compared to this infinite God. How finite man compares to the infinite God. And it's important in our walk with the Lord to know who we are. It's important to know who God is. And the two are kind of equal components that in our walk with God and in this road of life, as we figure out what it means to be a Christ follower and as we walk with the Lord and, and get to know him a little bit more and grow as a Christian, knowing who God is is important, but equally important, knowing who we are in relation to God is incredibly important. Well-known theologian and pastor Warren Wearsby has this really awesome quote that that kind of addresses this idea in a nutshell. He says this, and think about this. Let this sit in for a second. What we think about God and our relationship to him determines what we think about everything that makes up our busy world. Other people the universe, God's will, God, God's, or God's will, word, God's will, sin, faith, and obedience. And check this part out. Wrong ideas about God will ultimately lead to wrong ideas about who we are. And check it. And this leads to a wrong life on the wrong path towards the wrong destiny. So in other words, what, this idea that, that Warren Wearsby's talking about is knowing who we are in our relationship to God and knowing who God is, those two things, everything we do in life is built upon those. That first, our core belief system of who God is and who we are in relationship to this God impacts and affects everything we do in life. The words we say, the way, the way we live, how we treat people, uh, the, our integrity, the choices we make, the priorities we establish in our life, it all hinges upon these two belief systems, who God is and who we are in relationship to this God. And so David in Psalm 133 first recognizes the first part, who God is. He's saying, God, you're, you're with me everywhere I go. You're, you're loving, you're kind, you're wise, you're, you're a good God. He's talking about who God is, but then our text this morning focuses on who he is through this God. And let's, let's put Psalm 139 back up because 
in so many words, David's saying, okay, you created me, God. You formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And, and you're a good God, but I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I draw identity from you. You're the one who created me. I'm created unique with a purpose. And the thing that's crazy is he says, every one of my days were written, were established, were ordered before one of them came to pass. David's wrestling with this relationship that he has with this God, this position, him and this God. In Psalm 139, David recognized that he was uniquely and inimitably created by an affectionate creator. He realizes that not only was his genetic makeup, not only was his personality, not only was the entirety of his personhood unique, but also his trajectory in life, his calling, his paths, the days ahead of him. It was all unique. It was one of a kind. It was made wonderfully and fearfully. And so he's coming to grips with this and he's recognizing, wait, this God has made me and everyone unique. Unique personhood, unique calling. And, and I think at this point, we can all agree, right? Like, I'm probably preaching to the choir. Many of you are saying, well, of course we're unique. Like, I look completely different than this person next to me who so happens to be a girl, and I'm a guy. So obviously there's, there's some difference there. Or, or I'm going for my degree in civil engineering, and, and my friend is going for a degree in nursing. Or I'm a musician, and my friend's an architect. I mean, you kind of can't get any more different than that. And so it's obvious and apparent that we all are different. We all bear uniqueness. And though, yes, there are similarities, we in our very core and in our calling and trajectory in life are very different. But we live in a culture of competition. And we live in a culture that says you have to have more than your neighbor. You know, keeping up with the Joneses. You got to have the car to fit in. You got to have the house with the white picket fence that's three stories and 16 beds and 14 bathrooms. That's the house you need to really fit in. Or you got to have a ton of friends, or you got to have that thick beard of facial hair, and you got to walk the walk, and you got to talk the talk, and you got to be cool. And so with that then, when we're plunged and immersed into this culture of competition, we then can buy in to the practice and the trap of comparison. Because when we don't have what that person has, when we don't have the car, when we're actually a broke college student and we're driving a 1989 Beater Honda Civic and our friend over here is driving a 2014 Beamer, yikes. Competition, right? You got to keep up. That's what culture says. So we, we try and keep up and we try and have this stuff and we try and get the degree that's going to pay the most amount of money and we, we try and get the hottest girl, which really isn't, isn't a problem actually. I can, I can see some good in that. And, and we're trying to keep up, keep up, keep up. And in that, we, we bleed into this practice of comparison that, oh, I don't have that. Man, my friend from high school, he, he's doing this. And, and oh, that person I knew back in the day, they're making six figures. I'm still in college. Like, I'm 100 grand in debt because I'm going for my master's degree. Like, what's going on? And we compare and we compare and we compare. And though we would admit and confess, oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm unique. Often our lives can model this practice of comparison and where we actually question if we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a lot of areas that this can take place. You can sit in, a, in your college classroom and have a friend, and you can be comparing right there. You can be in a conversation at a coffee shop and start comparing, you know, anywhere. But really, 
Where we see this played out the most is over social media, isn't it? Because it always starts with this, and, and I know you guys are probably perfect and you've never struggled with this, so please just humor me as, as I am vulnerable and share my struggles. But it always starts with scrolling. You're scrolling through, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, and you're scrolling, 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 and you get to a post that stops you dead in your tracks. And again, this is me, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't you. And you think, they went Where? Iceland? Are you kidding me? That person went to Iceland? They're 21 and they went to Iceland? What the heck? I'm 25. I've never been to a continent in my life. Other than North America, obviously. <laughs> or, or they bought what? They bought that house? They bought that car? Or, or, or they're dating that person? They got that job? And at first we're happy for them, right? We think, okay, great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's sweet. But then we begin to take it a step further. And then we begin to ask, why can't I go to Iceland? Why don't I have that car? Why, why couldn't I have landed that job? Why couldn't, my have life, my, why couldn't my life have looked different? Why am I missing this? Why can't my life look like that, right? And then we look at the job that we had that 10 seconds ago we were completely content with, or that car that 10 seconds ago we were completely content with and loved, and now we begin to despise it. And we begin to think, I should have that. I should have that car. I should have that job. I should have that degree already. What is wrong with me? Why, why does my life look like this? And we, we begin to question and we begin to end up feeling because we're comparing that we're living a lesser version of our lives than what we should be living. And we begin believing that instead of praying the prayer of David, oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you. We begin believing that we're shoddy craftsmanship. We begin believing that God might have messed things up. That there's actually probably a different path that we could be on in life. There's a way that our lives could look like that God really could have done a better job. And all the while, we compare and we compare and we compare and we belittle the God-given uniqueness that we've been given. This gift of God-given, divine uniqueness. Because we're comparing, and we're looking, and we're saying, my life doesn't look like that. Why? And we believe that there's an issue. And that's exactly what comparison does. See, comparison is a cancer that degrades God's miraculous gift of individual uniqueness. It's something that completely goes against, completely attacks, and completely demeans and degrades the amazing and miraculous and glorious gift that God's given us of just being us and being unique and being individuals. And we look and we compare and we compare and we compare our personality and we compare what we have and we compare our path in life and where we're at in life. When our friends are going off and being entrepreneurs and getting jobs, we're sitting and still working on our degree. Or we're, we're done with our degree and we're working a job that's kind of the in-between. It's not the dream. Regardless of what we compare, we, we, we begin to just believe that we're living a lesser version. And last week in, uh, in Genesis 1, we saw that God created man. He created the universe, but then he gets to man and he says, Let us make man in what? Our image. That is the image of the Godhead. He says, let us make man in our image. And there's a general principle there that we talked about last week, how 
We are made with the, with the capacity to have relationship and to love, and that was uh, the number one thing in which we were created for, for relationship with our Creator. But I believe there's an individual principle here, that yes, we conglomerately, together as a body, as a church body, we're made in the image of God, humanity as a whole, but yet there's an individual component there, where we were made each individually in a unique image of God. You see, each of us bear a divine and unique spark in us that shows the world and shows others around us who God is like in a specific way. For example, uh, some people might be incredibly good at, at thinking, and, and they're, they're intellectuals, and they're able to process ideas, and they're able to wrestle with things that really are far beyond comprehension of other people. So that's one person. The other person might have this amazing capacity to love. They're compassionate. They're caring. I'm thinking of a Mother Teresa type. They're giving. They just give out everything they have. Well, those are two different people, two different gifts, two different divine sparks that each show two different facets of the Creator. And so we each individually bear this unique divine spark that shows people who we are. And so when we hop on Instagram and when we look at our friends from high school who are doing this, that, or the other, or who have this, that, or the other, or who are already married, or who are in a serious relationship, and we're sitting here and our lives look different, and we compare to somebody else, then we demean and degrade this God-given uniqueness, this unique divine spark that God's given us. Why? Because we were made fearfully and wonderfully as individuals, Every day was ordered for us, uniquely and specifically, before one of them came to pass. God has specific plans, specific callings, a specific trajectory in life for every single one of us. Not to mention the varying personalities and the the body and the genetic makeup and all that. And besides, if we're talking about social media, let's be real for a second— and concede that really, when people post things on social media, it's clean, and it's polished, right? And, and, and the light is hitting their face just perfect enough to, to exude, you know, the beauty that they have. And, and, and there's filter on filter on filter, and it's clean, and it's polished, and it's a phantom projection of what the entirety of that person's life is, right? So then when we hop on social media and when we compare our lives to somebody else's, really, we're comparing most likely the rawest and worst parts of our lives to the most clean, polished, and best part of someone else's. So in that circumstance, really, let's be real, we can't win. Can, we can't win that. And so, uh, so comparing over social media really is a, is a trap and comparing period that we have to, that we have to overcome. But I want to break this down for a second. Let, let's play out this scenario that I personally, or you personally, or whoever, we hop on social media and we start comparing, like, like we often do, okay? And I'm very much guilty of this too. So, so let's say I hop on social media. Right after church, I go home, and I'm scrolling through social media, and I'm like, oh, sweet, yeah, there's some sweet Instagram pictures. Like, all right, yeah, this person posted this, and I'm seeing a foodstagram, and I'm seeing a nice little selfie right here. And let's say that I get to my man, RJ, all right? And, and let's say I stumble upon a picture of RJ. And, uh, and RJ, I'm going to brag on you for a second, man. RJ is, is a cadet at the Air Force Academy. And, uh, and not only is he a cadet and a stud and a grade-A stallion, but he's also a starting linebacker for the Air Force Falcons, everybody. Come on. <laughs> New Mexico this weekend? Or who'd you guys play? Yeah, we played Hawaii. Hawaii, that's right. So... 
So let's say, let's say that I hop on RJ's feed and I start looking at his pictures, which I did, by the way, this weekend. You have a gift, my friend. You, you got some good, good feeds on there, some good pictures. And let's say that I'm seeing pictures of RJ in his football uniform. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he, he just won the game against Hawaii. Okay, well, he won a game against Navy, Navy. All right. Sick Navy, people. Woo, come on. And let's say I see him on the Navy field, and he's victorious. He's like, what's up? And I begin thinking, man, that's so cool. Good for, good for RJ. I want to be a linebacker. Wait, 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 no. I should be a linebacker. Why am I not a linebacker? And then I begin questioning my, my entire life. Why am I a pastor? Why am I even here? Like, well, what's going on? I should be a linebacker. Come on. And, and, then, and then I begin feeding these thoughts like, wait a minute, well, well why am I not a linebacker? Like, I, I must have made a bad decision here, and I must not have worked out enough, and I must be a complete failure in life, and, and I'm stupid, and I'm horrible, and what am I doing with my life? And I, these thoughts go on and on and on until I cry myself to sleep the following night with my Instagram in my hand. Just, okay. But, but take, a, take a step back for a second. I am six foot, 165 pounds and a whopping 170 on holidays, all right? (laughs) I cannot play linebacker, people. I can't. RJ, a tight end would run one slant route and bulldoze me. Like, I would be on my butt. It wouldn't happen. I I can't do it. Now, RJ, on the other hand, RJ, stand up. RJ, (laughs) illustration done. No, I'm just kidding. RJ is six foot three, 240, all right? RJ can play linebacker, and RJ should be playing linebacker. And RJ, I would actually argue that God had a unique and specific trajectory, according to our passage in Psalm 139, as well as other verses. We can conclude that all of our lives have a specific trajectory. And so RJ is on a specific trajectory for his life. And God actually brought RJ to the Air Force Academy so that he can play football and be a light and a witness to the people on the football field, which you do very well. I'm proud of you, man. But he, he has the body type, he's got the skill set, he's got the athleticism to play linebacker. And so me, if I compare myself to RJ, I can't win. I mean, let's be real, people. Come on. You, you can sit down, man. I don't want to embarrass you anymore. But, but if I start comparing my life to RJ, then I'm getting off and I'm playing out a scenario I was never created for. And check this out. I wasn't made as much for football at the Air Force Academy as RJ wasn't made to be your pastor of New Life Young Adults, which I would love to see, by the way. That'd be awesome. Um, and so the, the, the sooner I realize and come to grips with this idea that I am not RJ and RJ's not me, the sooner that I can step into this God-given call and God-given trajectory that God has for my life. You see, the comparison can eat me alive if I let it. But instead, when I concede, God, you have stuff for RJ that you don't have for me. And you have things for me that you don't have for RJ. These are two unique trajectories with two unique people. And you have two purposes for each of us that you're going to accomplish in our lives so that different people can be ministered to and different people can see the love of God. Love you, bro. Dude, glad you're here. So as we compare and as we wrestle and as we deal with this thing about comparison, we can often fall prey to this idea that we're not good enough or that our lives should be like this or should be like that or that we're shoddy craftsmanship. So let's go to Ephesians 2, chapter 8. The Apostle Paul talks about this 
to the Ephesians church. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. We can stop right there. Thank God for that. We've been saved by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything. Our works are trash. They're filthy rags. And yet God brought us into a saving relationship with him by his grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship talking about a master craftsman, this, this product of an incredible uh, and intimate creator. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That sound familiar? Coming off our Salt and Light series, Good Works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that he's saying, first you were created, unique, and then you were saved, so that you can showcase God, the creator, and Jesus Christ living by the Holy Spirit. You can showcase God in a unique way that no one else can. And this context is specifically talking about salvation, but even better, right? First created, then saved. Our entire lives revolve around our unique, God-given, unique spark that God's able to use us. And he's saying God prepared it all, the good works, like we talked about with RJ, this trajectory in life, these things that he has for you tomorrow, the next day, the next day, next year, 2020, when you're 40, when you're 50, God has unique plans for you. And check this out. In his omniscience, he prepared it beforehand, in advance, for you to walk in and for me to walk in. And so as we accept and come to grips with the fact that, wait, we're unique here. And then me comparing myself to someone else, not only can I not win, but really, you're cheating. That's, that's not the right game. Like you, that's not even a game. You, you, you can't equate one person's destiny and one person's gifts and one person's talents in the way one person looks with another. They're completely different things. They were created uniquely. And so whatever we look at in our lives, whatever we tend to compare our lives with, whether it's the things that we have, the personalities we have, the way our hair looks, our skin tones, our degrees, our dream occupation, what, what we're doing in life, the, the variety of our circumstances right now. When we compare those, we undermine God and his God-given uniqueness to us. And we demean and really flat out reject the idea that we're created unique when we buy into this live comparison. So I got one question for you this morning. Have you let the cancer of comparison infect your life? I'm sure all of us could take a second and think about one time this week where we've allowed comparison to infect our lives. Have you, have you focused so much on, on what other people have and what you think you should have that you've really uh, lacked the understanding and, and, and stopped to think about your uniqueness? And that unique and divine spark that God has put only in you and the good works that he's planned beforehand in advance only for you. Well, if so, the invitation of the creator this morning is first to repent, to come and to say, God, I repent. When we look at scripture, I think it's clear to see that comparison is a sin. 
and we can look down on it and we can think, no, it's just this and it's just that and it's not a big deal. No, it's a sin. And, and the Creator calls us this morning to come and to just repent and to say, God, first I admit and I confess that I'm off. I confess that I'm wrong. I confess that I've missed the mark. I confess that I'm not living in your best because that's what sin is. And then next, it's re-embracing who we are, who you are. It's re-embracing, becoming confident and becoming comfortable in your own skin, where you're at in life, what you have, what God has graciously given you, the people around, whatever your life looks like, becoming confident and comfortable in your own skin. And as we do that, as, as we repent and as we re-embrace, then freedom comes. And God is able to clean away the junk and, and wipe it all away and help us to realize this unique trajectory and unique call and unique person that he's made for us. And I'll take it a step further. God in his omniscience knows that we've fallen and he knew that you would mess up, and he knew that I would mess up, and he knows every single one of our sins that we'll commit for the rest of our lives, and yet he still chose to create you. He still chose to go, I don't want to say through the hassle, because it wasn't a hassle, but to go through the immense work in crafting you. He didn't look at any one of us and say, they're not worth it. Nope, they're going to do this, 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 and this. They're going to get into this and this, and they're going to think this about me and treat people. That, no. He said, you're worth it, and I'm creating you uniquely. I'm not creating you like everybody else. That'd be the easy way out, but I'm creating you uniquely and specifically for a specific purpose. So let's take a second. Let's pause. Let's quiet our hearts. We began by reading Psalm 139, and at the end of Psalm 139, David prays these words. Psalm 139, verse 23, the way this psalm wraps up. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So we're going to take a second. Let's close our eyes, and let's just let that sit. And if it's uncomfortable, good. And if, it's, if it doesn't feel good and you're a little discouraged right now and you're looking at your life and you notice one, two, three, four, however many times that you've bought into this trap and let this cancer of comparison invade your life, there is grace and there is love and there is a God who is willing to lead us in the way everlasting. But right now, I just want us to, to pause. And we do this sometimes, but I want you personally to just have a time with the Lord. Forget about everyone around you. Just treat this time like it's only you and God. Just begin to talk to God. Begin to speak to him. And I, I want us to just take a second. Those of us who have fed and, and got lost into this trap of comparison, I want you to just confess that first. Repent. Say, God, I need you. I'm worthless without you. Ask the Lord to help you, to lead you in the way everlasting. Ask God to help you overcome these practices of comparison. Ask him to give you strength and to know when you start to do that, to go down a different path and to say no. Father, 
lead us in the way everlasting. God, we take on the weight of your word. And I thank you that the word is not always feel good. And I thank you that the word speaks to where we are. And that you speak to the, to the specificity of our circumstances in our lives. God, I pray that you would forgive us, every one of us. God, we can all confess and repent of the sin of comparison. And I pray that you would cleanse us. Would you wash us? And God, would you lead us in the way everlasting? When a moment comes and we're on Instagram or we're on Facebook or we're at college or at our job and we're about to slip into that trap of comparison, Lord, would your Holy Spirit be quick to remind us, no, you were fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely and specifically made with purpose that God prepared beforehand. Lord, would you help us to be comfortable in our own skin? Would you help us to walk in the way that you would have us walk and embrace who we are? And we just give you thanks that we are unique. We give you thanks that we don't blend in. We give you thanks that we are alive and vibrant and unique. We praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Creator God. And right now, we ask that as we discuss and as we unpack these ideas together, I pray that wisdom would come. I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray that you would allow us to to be doers of the Word this week and help us to figure out what that looks like right now. We say we love you, and we thank you for all that you've spoken and all that you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, when everybody said, Amen, Amen. All right, well, uh, let's discuss for a little bit, talk, unpack these ideas, talk about what it means for you specifically. Questions are going to be up on the screen, but uh, God bless you guys as you discuss. So one thing before we do our benediction, um, I want to bring our attention to question number three. Uh, We established in in my group that I was in, this is really where the rubber meets the road, you know, And, and in these questions every single week, there's always a practical question as some of you may have picked up on. There's always that, how can you apply this this week? And especially with this thing of comparison, I want us to focus in on that. So if in your group you didn't establish that, you didn't get to number three, um, if you did and maybe it was kind of a soft answer and you weren't really able to dive into it, I want to encourage each and every one of us to leave and to think through that. How do I apply this message today? How, what, can I, what can I put into place and rhythms I can put into my life this week that will ensure that I'm at least a little more guarded from comparison? And I think that's actually a great thing to, to build into your life every single Sunday and every time you hear a message is how can I apply this? So especially this week, I want to encourage us, if you didn't land on that, and if that's not really in you and, and nothing's concrete, I want to encourage you to do that because that's incredibly important as we're talking about this topic. So with that, let's stand. Let's do our benediction. We're reading out of Ephesians 2, declaring that we are saved by grace and the identity that we have as the people of God. So let's read this together as our prayer for the week. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. God bless you guys. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you walk out and apply these ideas to your life. May you be free from the cancer of comparison and may you walk in the God-given identity that he has given you. And all God's people said, amen.